if God were to grant you one wish, what would you wish for? If you could ask God for one thing, what would that one thing be? Some of you probably went immediately to, well, I'd ask God for the Christmas gift I really wanted and didn't get. Right? Hey, by the way, what's the top five Christmas gifts this year, 2019? What's the number one Christmas gift? Apple AirPod. Earbuds? What was the number two? What was it? Carmack? Carmats? That's what I got Holly. True story. She asked for them. I can't believe it. Now I got her some other stuff, but you know. Instant Pot was the number two gift. What's the number three gift? Ooh, I thought that would be on too. It's not. The Robo Vacuum? Right? Okay, this is going to blow my mind. The, the fourth one, nobody's ever going to get this one. Number four, top gift in the country. A large suitcase. I have no idea what that's about. I have no idea. I bet you a lot of you can guess this one. Number five gift was a weighted blanket. How many of you got a weighted blanket for Christmas? Who want to admit it? I didn't get one, so I ordered one myself. Right? Once you get through all of the peripheral stuff, if you had one wish to ask the Lord, what would it be? Once you get through all that, then we get down into some deeper things. What would you really ask God for if you just had one thing? For some of you, it would be more time. Some people in our congregation are very, very sick. And they're running out of time. And some of the conversations that I have are, I I would just like to see my grandson turn two. For others of you, it would be to get a really good job in 2020, one that had good health care benefits, retirement benefits, and you'd just be so happy if the Lord granted you just a really good job. For others, it would be great health. 2019 hasn't been a great year for you health-wise, and so you're asking God the one thing this year, if you could just give me greater health. For others of you, it would actually be a, a closer walk with the Lord. Those are all great. Did you know that that very scenario happened in 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon was the newly appointed king of Israel, and it took him a little bit while to solidify the throne, and and when he was securely ensconced as the king of Israel, he threw this massive worship service that's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. And back in those days in the sacrificial system, I mean, Thousands of animals were sacrificed to the Lord, and it was this huge event. All of Israel gathered together as a nation. And that night when Solomon went to bed, he had a dream. And in this dream, God said to him, I am so pleased with you that your heart is for me, that your heart is fully committed to me. What do you want? I'll give you, says the Lord, I'll give you anything that you ask for. Solomon asked for wisdom. He said, I am a young king, and how can I possibly lead your people well? So I'm going to ask for wisdom to be a wise leader, to lead the nation well economically, spiritually, to have your nation prosper. And God was so pleased that Solomon didn't ask for all this other stuff, 
that God said, yes, I will grant your one request and I will make you a wise man. And because you didn't ask for riches and fame and all these other things that would typically just roll off our tongue, oh, I'd like a new car this year. Oh, I'd really like to be famous. By the way, I read an article several months ago about the number one career choice for teenagers to own their own YouTube channel so they can become famous. That's the number one career choice among teenagers. They just want to be known and famous. Because Solomon didn't ask to be known you know, for being famous or anything. God said, I'm going to give you wisdom, and then I'm going to throw in all those other things that you did not ask for. So today, we're beginning a series on the book of Proverbs. It's going to be eight weeks, and it's going to, it, the title of it is Wise Words from a Wise Guy About Wise Living. So Solomon really did become the wisest man that ever lived besides the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll get to the Lord Jesus at the end of the message. But Solomon became this incredibly wise man, and what happened was people from all over the known world sat at Solomon's feet and listened to him solve problems. and make great decisions. You know, the Bible says that when Solomon was reigning, nothing was made of silver because it was considered of little value. Everything was made of gold. He was an economic genius. Solomon had PhDs from all the leading universities. He was brilliant. And that all got thrown in because he asked for wisdom. Now, Solomon is long gone, but you know, Solomon wrote a book called Proverbs. So we can gain from Solomon's wisdom because he wrote down several thousand sayings. Now here's what you need to know about the book of Proverbs. It's 31 chapters, so let me make a suggestion. There's 31 days in January, read a chapter a day. The first nine chapters are an introduction to the Proverbs. The first nine chapters. Chapters 10 through 24 are actually several thousand Proverbs that Solomon gave. And then chapters 25 through 31 are more Proverbs of Solomon, but mixed in there are several other Proverbs from other wise people. Kind of a mishmash, the last several chapters. You also need to know something else about Proverbs. It's a young person's book. We would say today it's a children's story. But actually, the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon for a young audience. It wasn't written to old people. It wasn't written to middle-aged people. It was written to his children. People who would one day be rulers in Israel. It was their book. And what he's saying to them is, much of the first nine chapters of Proverbs is the metaphor of a, of a mom and a dad, and you know, wisdom is seen as this, this um, person, it's personified, and it's, it's created in such a way that it captivates children. Now, it may be written to children, but that doesn't mean we can't gain something from it. So, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at several things that are common in your life and my life and how to become wiser in dealing with those things. We're going to be talking about finances. We'll be talking about priorities. We'll be talking about how to build friendships. Just a variety of different topics because Proverbs hits on all of those things. So, with that as an introduction, turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and stand, please. If you would, as we read God's Word together, Proverbs chapter 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. 
Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables. The words of the wise and their riddles. Riddles is simply thought-provoking comments that are not easily understood on the surface. You're going to have to really think about them. And when you think about them, you go, oh, right, that's what he or she means. Verse 7, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus Christ, we honor you today. You are the central focus. Yeah, we're talking about Proverbs and we're talking about Solomon, but actually it's really about being captivated with you. Would everything that's said and done these next few moments point to you, who is wisdom itself? Help us to get wiser in this new year, in this new decade. Help us to have 2020 vision, to see life from your perspective. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated couple of things, what, uh, just to help us by way of understanding the whole book. First of all, what is a proverb? A proverb is a short, concise statement of truth. It is concentrated common sense from God's Word. Now, I'm going to come back to this idea of common sense, but it's concentrated common sense from God's Word. So, for example, Proverbs uh, 22 6 says, train up a child in the way that he or she should go, and when he or she is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, what does that mean? First of all, Proverbs are never guarantees. They are generalized truth. Stop and think about that. A proverb is never a 100% guarantee. It's always a generalized truth. This is what typically happens. So, Proverbs 22, 6. When you train up a child in the way he or she should go. What does that mean? That means that every child has a bent to them. You cannot raise, if you have more than one child, you cannot raise that child the same exact way. Because there are some children that are more sensitive than others. You have to raise a boy differently than you raise a girl. All of those things. So train up a child in the way that he or she should go. That also implies giving them direction. You never let your children make decisions, especially when they're young, on their own. Well, do you want to go to church today, Billy? No. You bring your child to church. Well, I don't want to force religion on them. Force religion on them! What's up with that? What's the alternative? Playing some video game at home? Stop and think about that. I'm not talking about being autocratic. I'm just saying that you need to become a Ph.D. in your kid. And what works for one doesn't work for the other. But you're the one that gives them guidance. You're the one that gives them direction. And this this proverb simply says that if you train up a child, if you give a godly example to that person in the home, if you give a godly model of what it looks like to serve the Lord, you don't have to be perfect. But if your child gets that you have a heart for the Lord, listen, when they get to be 16, 17, 18, 25, even 30 years old, there's this boomerang effect. This is what this is talking about. There's this boomerang effect where your kids begin to come back around to what they know that they've been taught. So for those of you who have kids that are wandering from the Lord, you keep praying, you keep fasting, you keep leaning into the Lord, but you need to know something. They're going to have to fight as they get older their influence, your influence on them. We saw this yesterday. So we had two Christmases in our our house. We went over to our one daughter's house on Christmas Eve, and yesterday we went over to our other daughter's house in New Jersey. And our other daughter gave us some things, and and last night we get home pretty late, and Holly says to me, look at what Bethany did. And Bethany had this neat little thing all prepared for us. She made some bolognese sauce, and it was all wrapped up kind of cute. It wasn't just a here plastic container. She had it kind of wrapped up in a ribbon. And Holly said, look at what she's done. That's so pretty. And I said, she got that from you. You know that, right? Bethany's now 34, and she's beginning to talk more like Holly. Right? 
She's, she's cleaning the way Holly used to clean. We're, we're hearing these expressions come out of her mouth that 10 years earlier, she's like, I'm never going to say that. You know what I'm saying? Just relax a little bit. you got some kids that are not walking with the Lord. You keep pressing in. But just remember, they're going to have to fight not coming back. A proverb is concentrated common sense from God's Word. The purpose of the book of Proverbs and the purpose of wisdom is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. To help them to do what is right, just, and fair. So consider two key words, discipline and success. Discipline is the ability to do the right thing regardless of your feelings. People who are not disciplined end up living their life by their feelings, making choices by their feelings. But discipline is the ability to do the right thing whether you feel like it or not. Like getting up the same time every day. Like going to bed the same time every day. Like taking care of their personal hygiene. Make it your 2020 goal to take a shower every single day and use soap. Uh, Eating healthy, following through, keeping your closet clean, keeping your man cave clean, keeping your garage clean, keeping your house clean. Hey, remember, number three gift was a a, a robo-vacuum? Discipline is not boring. In fact, Far from being boring, you you habitualize your values so that you can become really creative. If you have to keep thinking all the time whether you're going to be making certain decisions, just lay those decisions aside and say, every day I'm going to do this. And once that gets into a groove in your mind, and once you become disciplined, every day I'm going to read God's Word. Every day I'm going to pray. Every day, every week I'm going to go to worship. Every day, you just, you just habitualize some things, and here's what will happen. They will become a groove in your life. And when they become a groove in, their life, in your life, it becomes non-negotiable. When it becomes non-negotiable, now it frees up your mind to become really creative. Disciplined people are creative people. Notice that discipline is the forerunner of success. On the whole, most successful people are very disciplined people. And it leads to success. How many of you like HERS potato chips? Did you know that the owners of HERS are Christians? I once heard Jim Herr speak. And um, he said that Proverbs was the greatest leadership book ever written. And if you go to the Hers Potato Chip Factory today, well, last time I was there they had it. I shouldn't say today because, you know, who knows. But they had this huge container where they had printed up the book of Proverbs, and when you were in their gift shop, it was free. You could take as many books of Proverbs as you wanted to. And so Jim Hurst said that the reason why the book of Proverbs was the greatest leadership book ever written is because it taught them, it, it taught how to spend money wisely, how to not be lazy, how to deal with difficult people. How many of you have difficult people? Right? How to deal with problems at work, how to be a better leader, how to make friends, how to be emotionally healthy. how to be sociable, how to get healthy and stay healthy. All of these topics are in Proverbs. And Jim Hurst said, if you can nail down Proverbs, you're going to have a successful life. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not intelligence. You know some really smart people that still make poor decisions? Wisdom is not knowledge. You can know a lot, you can have a lot of degrees behind your name, but knowing something and knowing how to apply apply something are two different things. Somebody once said, a smart person knows what to say, a wise person knows whether to say it or not. It's not even common sense. I said a little bit earlier that, you know, Proverbs are concentrated common sense, but stop and think about it. Wisdom isn't even common sense, although we desperately need common sense. Wouldn't you agree? So like, for example, you ever see these um, you know, product warnings? I came across some. On a package for an iron, 
do not iron clothes while on body. What, what, I mean, it's, ooh, this is hot. Yeah. On a blowtorch. Not used for drying hair. On a push lawnmower, not to be used as a hedge trimmer. Imagine picking up a lawnmower. Now, the really scary thing about this is, you know that these product warnings have been placed on because of lawsuits. To settle the lawsuit, you had to put this product warning on. Here's uh, my personal favorite. On a mattress, do not attempt to swallow. So there's a major lack of common sense in our world, right? But, but Proverbs, are, wisdom is really not about common sense. It's about seeing and doing life from God's perspective. Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. How many of you know God's got a bigger perspective than you? Our four-year-old grandson yesterday, remember we were all over our one daughter's house and we, we did Christmas together. A lot of toys are everywhere, papers everywhere, chaos. And our, our four-year-old grandson Paxton gets this little model Ferrari little model car. He loves it. He's carrying it everywhere. Well, it was a nice day yesterday. So we all went outside and, oh my goodness, one of our kids got this bottle rocket where you fill it halfway with water and then you launch it and it goes like like 50 feet into the air. It's hysterical, right? Well, Paxson's outside, our four-year-old grandson. Anyway, he's everywhere. Outside, inside. It's time to go and and he lost his car. It's somewhere in the house. Or not. He loses his mind. He's on the ground pounding. He's doing everything a, you know, a four-year-old does, just screaming and yelling. And we're trying to tell him, it's here somewhere, honey. It's going to be okay. Here's the perspective. Here's what I know. It's got to be something. We didn't throw out any trash. So even if you got wrapped up in the paper, right, we, we, can un, we can find it. We will find the car. What's more is, if we can't find the car, we'll buy him another one. But in his four-year-old mind, all he knows is, he used to have a little model car, now he doesn't. And he's ticked. Seeing and responding to life from God's perspective is increasingly understanding that though we may lose something, though we may be hurt by someone, though we may not get our A dream or our B dream or our C dream, though God may not heal us physically or someone we love, It's seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. Basically what it means is, is to live a Christ-like life. How would Jesus respond if this were to happen to him? How would Jesus respond if someone were to hurt one of his children? How would Jesus respond if he lost his little model car? How would you respond if you didn't get the job that you wanted? How would you respond if your spouse is irritating you to no end? How would you respond if you are underemployed and you have a degree and you can't get a job in the field? How would you respond to all these things? It's increasingly seeing life from God's perspective. Now, last question, and this is really the heart of the message. How do you become a wiser person through the years? Because wisdom is an acquired skill. God doesn't drop it on you like one day you're not wise and the next day you are. It's an acquired skill. Remember, Proverbs is written to young people. If you get this early, you'll become wiser later. 
you could say it like this. What are five resolutions that I can make for the new year? Anybody ever make resolutions anymore? Or five ways to make better decisions. Number one, humble yourself before God. Verse 7, in some of the Bible translations that you have, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the message version, it simply says this. Start with God. The first step, is learn, the first step in learning is bowing down to God. It's putting yourself in a posture of surrender. Of acknowledgement that you have a limited, finite perspective. George Washington Carver was the most prominent black scientist of the 20th century. Um, His life was an example of humility. He made many scientific discoveries, including crop rotation, which revolutionized all of agriculture. George Washington Carver came up with that idea of crop rotation. Now, he once said these words. When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. So he told me. Now listen to this little history lesson. George Washington Carver was responsible for introducing peanuts to the South. Why is that? Because the boll weevil, the insect, destroyed the cotton harvests, and it decimated the South. In the 1880s, the South lost four trillion dollars of wealth because of cotton crops going bad. And the South didn't know what to do. I mean, right, so the North was, you know, the Civil War history, right? So, so the North was industrial and the South was primarily agricultural and the South was being decimated because of the boll weevil. So what ended up happening is, is that George Washington Carver figured out that peanuts would grow best in the South, and that peanuts would add nutrients to the soil that cotton was taken, that cotton depleted. And so he tried going around to different towns convincing people to stop growing cotton and start growing peanuts. Listen to this. There's a town in Alabama called Enterprise, Alabama, that has a monument to the boll weevil. Because... If it weren't for the decimation of the cotton crop, they would have never understood how lucrative the peanut harvest would be. So, what ends up happening is, is that George Washington Carver ends up creating 300 different products that you could make from peanuts. And it blew the South up, economically. It saved the South. George, the peanut is about your size. I'll give you wisdom on how to unlock the mystery of the peanut. Solomon became wise because he humbled himself before the Lord. He knew he was not smart enough to lead Israel. And because of that, he asked for wisdom. That's why he wrote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is my life verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Making your path straight doesn't mean an easy life. It means that God will direct the way that you should go. Understand that you don't always know what's best for you. Do not lean on your own understanding. I mean, there are things, you know, the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to man but that pathway leads to destruction. 
How many times have you, you were 100% sure that this was the right decision, and you made that decision, and you're like, ooh, that didn't work out well at all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Two. So the first is just to humble yourself before the Lord. Two is ask for it. Ask for wisdom. Stop and think about this. You ask for a lot of things, right? Have you, I hope you have a prayer list. You know what a prayer list is? A prayer list is a list that you keep of things, people, circumstances that you're praying for. Make 2020 the year of a prayer list, right? You just decide you're going to get a piece of paper, put it on an index card, stuff it in your wallet, your pocket, your purse, wherever, and you say, these are the things I'm going to regularly pray for. You pray for wisdom every single day. You know why? Because James 1.5. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives generously without finding fault. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. If you're struggling with wisdom, if you want to know how to make better decisions, why don't you just lean into the Lord and say, Lord, give me more wisdom this year. It starts with opening up your heart to the Lord and honestly sharing deep thoughts and feelings. It also means asking for things, but it also means listening. I love what C.S. Lewis said about prayer. I never heard this quote before, and I, I just love it. Listen. The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists of shoving it all back. In listening to the other voice. Taking the other point of view. Letting the other, larger, stronger, quieter life come in. Wisdom is daily shoving all of those things that you have in your day, shoving them back to create margin to listen to the quieter, stronger voice of the Holy Spirit. So what, you should, what should you pray for? Well, obviously praying for wisdom. Okay, so what do you pray for wisdom about? How about raising your kids? Have you discovered, okay, so two thoughts. One, if you're a single parent. The other, if you're married. Let's start with if you're married. If, if you're married and you have kids at home still, have you discovered that one of you is softer than the other? One of you is a little harder, a little bit more disciplined, The other is a little bit softer. Oh, let it go. And here's how it works. Either the husband is the softer one and the wife always feels like the heavy. And the wife is looking at the husband going, why won't you support me? Or it's the flip side, wait till your father gets home. And the wife abdicates and the father's always the heavy. Listen, you need wisdom to have conversations together as a husband and wife to sit down and get on the same page so that you send a consistent message to your children. You can duke it out in the bedroom and have all the arguments you want to have, right? But when you come out and you talk to your kids, you've got to be on the same page because kids smell disunity. And they love it. And they will go at it. And if they see a little crack between you they're going after it. It's their job. It's who they are. If you're a single parent and you have kids in the home, you need wisdom because how are you going to discipline with balance? You can't rely on the fact that you're by nature a softy. Or you can't rely on the fact that you're kind of like a hard-nosed person and, hey, I told you, 10.30, you came home at 10.32. You're grounded. Okay. You know what you need wisdom for? You need wisdom when you, your child does something that you know is wrong. And sometimes that child really does need to be disciplined because that's the right thing to do. But have you discovered in your parenting that sometimes disciplining them is actually the wrong thing to do at that time because of mitigating circumstances? 
You need to pray for wisdom when you go to work, when you open up your mouth, to know what to say, when to say, and what not to say. You need wisdom to be emotionally intelligent, to be self-aware. Are you one of these people where you're in meetings and all you do is most of the talking? And you keep interrupting and you're listening to people. People are listening to you, but you're the one dominating the conversation. How do you know when to pull back and listen and don't say anything? Or you're one of those people, you just sit in a meeting at work and you say nothing the whole time, get up and fold up your notebook and go out and you're like, oh, I'm glad that meeting's done. When should you speak up? And not allow one or two or three voices to dominate a meeting. Do you see what I'm saying here? You need wisdom in all those things. And you need to prayerfully consider all of those things. Three. Listen to and learn from the experience of others. Without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. That's a good proverb. One of the great blessings about wisdom is that you don't have to experience everything yourself. Your life is going to be pretty bumpy if the only way you learn is by your own personal experience. So here's what you do. You begin to look at other people. Now, I know the Bible says you shouldn't envy people, you shouldn't compare yourself to people, but there is a good way to compare yourself to people. And one of the good ways to compare yourself is that you look at other people's mistakes and you look at other people's successes and you say to yourself, what do they know that I don't know? For example, your marriage doesn't come with a marriage manual. How would you know how to have a good marriage? One of the primary ways that you know how to have a good marriage is that you look around at people who look like they're happy after 20, 30 years, and you, you just begin to watch them. You can do this. Listen, Holly and I have done this for years. This is a little TMI, too much information. All right? We'll sit in church, and we'll, we'll go home, and we'll go, hey, you see Chuck and Marlon Steely? You see how Chuck put his, put his arm around Marlon? Hey, you hear the way Bob and Carol Holden talk to each other? They're so sweet. So gracious. Hey, do you hear how someone had an argument and they're not talking to each other? They haven't been talking to each other in days. We don't want to be like that. Holly and I have arguments just like everybody else. You, you get that? There's no issue of functional or dysfunctional. It's how you handle things that makes it functional or dysfunctional. When I was a younger pastor, I would go to ministers that looked like they knew what they were doing, and I'd sit down and I'd just have a list of questions. I mean, literally, this is almost embarrassing because that's just the way my mind works. I would come with a list of questions. Okay, question number one. When do you do your sermon preparation? Do you do it several times throughout the course of a week, or do you dedicate a day? Oh, you do it on Thursdays. Why do you do Thursdays? Question number two. Um, how do you run a board meeting? You know, they never taught me that in seminary. So, so how do you run a board meeting? Oh, good, can you give me your board agenda? Good, I'll take that. Suddenly, the next board meeting had a new board agenda. Well, where'd you get that board agenda? I don't know. I mean, you know. One of the primary ways that you learn from other people is by reading the Bible. The Bible is God's love story of his people, Israel and now us. But the Bible is full of examples of people that were really great at certain things and really terrible at other things. And so you, all you have to do is read through the Bible and say, ooh, I don't want to be like that. Or, oh, I really want to be like that. I understand that the Bible is intimidating. Where'd my Bible go? I mean, look it. How many of you have ever read a book more than 100 pages? Right? I mean, this, this Bible is intimidating. It is a large print Bible. I'm just saying. Okay? But it's pretty big. So for most people, 
most people make a resolution. I guarantee you, most Christians make a resolution. Number one, I need to lose weight this year. Number two, I need to read the Bible more. So, how do you crack open the Bible that's written in a couple different languages over the course of 1,500 years? A couple things. One is, I would suggest, my latest thing is, this, this may shock you, my latest thing is, is that I go to the BibleProject.com. Before I ever prepare any sermon, before I did this one, I looked at the video that's a seven or eight minute video on the book of Proverbs that gives the overview of the book. And I was like, yes, I remember learning that in seminary, but I forgot. The BibleProject.com has a, has a short overview of every book of the Bible, 66 books. It also has themes. There's a theme on wisdom. All, there's a theme on the Holy Spirit. So you, any theme in the Bible, sin, anything, you can just watch it, like a seven, eight-minute video, and it gives you... This, this broad perspective. You know why a lot of people don't read God's Word? Because they don't see the big picture. They're just reading words on a page. They don't even know where it's going. The second thing you could do is to do something simple, like get a devotional guide, okay? Like Our Daily Bread. You know, every day there's a one-page devotional that has a scripture reading and a devotional that somebody else has written and then a prayer at the bottom, okay? Start there. Um, for those of you who don't like devotionals and you just want to read God's Word, okay, here is my, my yearly Bible reading plan. Okay, this is from Nav- um, Navigators, NavPress, and more or less I've been using this for 30 years, more or less. I've gone through seasons where I haven't used it for like five, six years in a row, but I, I always come back to it, okay? Do you know that you can read through the whole Bible in an entire year if you read 12 minutes a day? If you don't have 12 minutes, you're too busy. And I'm not just talking about reading. I'm actually talking about thinking about it, like reflecting on it. Um, Consistency is the key. Remember that word discipline? God's not beating you up. God's not heaping guilt on you if you haven't read your Bible in a week. Remember, the Bible is a love story. It's an invitation. I'd rather read the Bible 10 minutes a day, all 365 days in the year, than to spend an hour with the Lord for three weeks and then drop off. Consistency is the key. Okay. Four, this is about making good decisions, right? Listen to and learn from the experience of others. Four is get serious about obedience. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. I have two books sitting on my night table on how to eat healthier. That I've had there for eight months. That have yet to be opened. But they're there. You can read all the books you want. But if you don't apply what you read, it's worthless. Here's a little tip about life that um, I picked up along the way. Somebody else shared it with me. If you refuse to act on something God has already shown you, it will block additional insight. That's worth it, the whole message. If you forget everything else, that's it. If you refuse to act on something that God has shown you, it will block additional insight. God leads in steps. And if you're on this step and you're not doing what's on that step, don't expect God to give you the next step. God reveals His will in steps, and in order for you to see the next step that God has for you, we need to make sure we're currently obeying what we already know. So what 
has God already revealed to you? So I sat down this week and I just typed in on a Google search the commands of God. And they're long. I mean, they're like overwhelming. So I thought, well, I can't share all hundreds of the commands of God because people, you, you just wouldn't be able to take it. So I just picked out four. I'm just going to give them to you. God commands us to stop worrying. Worry is a sin. Um, a phrase I picked up years ago, worrying is like swearing. Swearing is taking God's name in vain. Worrying is taking God's promises in vain. Still the same thing. Every time you worry, you're swearing at God. Stop and think about that. We're commanded not to worry. Well, I can't help it. Uh, worry's a choice. It's okay to be concerned, right? But now you have to go back and figure out what's the difference between concern and worry. Worry is catastrophizing. Concern is when your kids said they'd be home at 11 o'clock and it's 11.30. You should be concerned. Worry is all the catastrophizing in your mind that takes place. Well, what if this happened? What if this happened? Stop. That's God's business. Second, the command is to be holy meaning different. Work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. In other words, get serious this year about holiness. I heard a phrase several months ago that has just been kind of like toying around in my mind and I can't get it out. And it's good, right? But I just can't get it out. And I just want to pass it on to you. I think it's a great phrase. Put away... All doubtful things. Put away all doubtful things. Listen, everybody has things in their life that if they're really honest with, they'll say, I don't know. Should I be doing that? If you were to just put away anything in your life that was doubtful, where you had a question mark, and you just stopped doing it, that would increase your holiness. Uh, third command, love difficult people. Fourth command, listen, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, one last resolution, one last way to make great decisions, and that is give Christ full leadership of your life. Not 50%, not 75%, not 99 100%. Give Christ full leadership of your life. I love these two verses out of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.30 For our benefit, God made Him, Jesus, to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God, He made us pure and holy, and He freed us from God. Listen, this, these whole next eight weeks, when I'm talking about Proverbs, talking about wisdom, they all point back to Jesus, who is wisdom itself. All that you need to know is found in Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. These next eight weeks are about actually getting the mind of Christ. If you can get the mind of Christ on your finances, if you can get the mind of Christ on your relationships, if you can get the mind of Christ about your family, if you can get the mind of Christ about how to build friendship, if you can get the mind of Christ in these things, you'll be going a long way and you'll get wiser. I want to close out by just wrapping all of this up into five questions. Um, what is the matrix on how to make good decisions? I want to leave you with five questions that are based on these that I've just shared, but they're easily taken home. The first is, is this decision consistent with God's word? Does the Bible address whatever decision you need to make? There's a lot of stuff that the Bible could just simply address and say, oh, it says there I'm not supposed to do this, or I am supposed to do this. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Two, have I been praying about this decision, desiring the leadership of the Holy Spirit, or have I already made up my mind what I want to do and I'm trying to talk the Lord into doing it? Am I the only one who's ever done that? You've already decided that this is what you're going to do, so you, as you're praying about it, you're really explaining to the Lord why it's a good idea, why you should do this. Versus, 
you're really surrendering yourself to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm leaving myself in a position where you could lead either this way or that way, and I'm okay about it. Three, what are strong Christians in my life saying about this? Um, everybody should have a little community, and whatever decisions you want to make, you should run them by some people who really love you, and who love you enough to say, no, that's stupid. Don't do that. And if you don't have people in your life, you, you need to go to the pastoral staff, you need to go to somebody who will tell you the truth that you want to hear. Does this action seem wise? If you were to ask that question, does this action seem wise? Stop and think about it. There's a lot of things that if we just stood back for a moment and said, is that wise? We'd know immediately what the answer is. Lastly, can I see Jesus making this decision? Can I see Jesus making this decision? Let's stand, would you please? Lord Jesus, as we begin this journey in Proverbs, I want to pray a prayer of wise blessing over everybody in this room. Make each of us wiser this year. Give us your mind, Jesus. Humble us. Help us to bow our knee before you. Because the humble get the help. Help us to learn from the experiences of others. Help us to listen to other people. Help us to not be so headstrong that we just charge ahead. And then we look back and go, oh, was that wise? God, bring people into our life this year that will make us wiser. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Help us to have great friendships this year. And most of all, help us to lean into you and give you full leadership of our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day. Enjoy the Eagles game.